No, Scott. Okay, so you, this is not the Kathy show. It's the Scott show, but Scott's not here. And until he's here, we'll just work with what we have. Um, but tonight, our program, and, and of course, when Scott does come, which will happen, I'm sure, at some point, um, he could do his introduction his way, because, you know, that's not my way. It's just the way he works. But I'm going to introduce Kelly Chang. We've known her for Ever, it feels like. I was actually in your restaurant, Kelly. I think probably, the, I remember the first time, probably like the mid to late 1980s. It was the old spot. And spot. I was there with my cousin uh, and another friend. Um, we've been there, supportive of you, I think for at least, uh, let's say LTH forum wise, like forever. Yes. Um, you've been a great neighborhood restaurant, I think, from like the practically the get-go. Um, we were thrilled for you when you got your James Beard. The one <laughs> you couldn't campaign for, you couldn't even begin to ask for because it was manna from heaven, that America's thing. That was so thrilled for you. Uh, <laughs> another place that we've been very supportive of was uh, uh, on 95th Street. Oh, gosh. Um Never mind. I'm throwing myself off. So, uh, any case, Kelly Chang, we, when I first knew you, you were going to go to law school. Yeah. And you got diverted. Uh, very. <laughs> very. Very, very diverted. And that's good because that happens with family businesses and stuff like that. I know because I've worked in one for years. So, I'm going to spotlight you and turn it over to you. Okay. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, I am Kelly Chang. I am the general manager here at Sunwa Barbecue. I have an official title, not that it means anything, because it basically means, oh, hey, Kel, the toilet's broken, go fix it. Or, oh, hey, Kel, we don't have enough food, go make some more because we need to sell it. Um, it. My chef very humorously pointed out that the Chinese word for uh, manager means it has to go through you. So that's why we have to call you for every single reason. It has to go through. That's what your title means. It was a play on words. So that's, that's where I sit now. I'm the one that everything has to go through me. Um, but originally, the restaurant was started by my dad. And he had two partners in crime, uh, in front of the scenes that everybody knew about. And then of course he has, he has my mom as his partner in crime behind the scenes. Um, so a little bit about our family. And at this point, you guys should probably see my family. Uh, this is not the entire family, obviously, uh, but on the upper left side, the gentleman there is uh, our dad, Eric. Um, he is one of those people you would hear about and then go, whoa, really? Uh, because he's one of those people that swam from China to Hong Kong in the 70s. Uh, plenty of people before him, and I'm sure there were plenty of people after him. But, uh, you know, as his children growing up, you heard, what would have happened if he got eaten by sharks? You guys wouldn't be here. Um, but, you know, that's that's what happens when you don't believe your dad when he's telling stories as a kid. <laughs> uh, so we, um, obviously we didn't believe him, but he did. He, uh, he swam from China to Hong Kong where uh, he apprenticed to cook barbecue. He actually wanted to be a writer originally. He shared with me quite a number of years ago that when he got to Hong Kong, he thought, oh, I have freedoms now. I've escaped from Mao Zedong. I have freedoms now. I can do whatever I wanted. So he actually wrote some journalistic pieces and sent them out to the newspapers uh, and did not get any replies except for one. And I think he said he sent out like 20 editorials or something and he got 10 bucks for it. <laughs> and so he realized very quickly he needed to make a living uh, doing something else that actually could feed him. Um, and so that's what he did. He went and got a job in a restaurant and whoever was the first to take him in, it happened to be barbecue. And that's what, uh, that's what he did. He uh, learned uh, the Hong Kong style barbecue. And then in 1976, when he actually received a permit, 
he met the lovely lady in red uh, below him. Uh, through his great uncle and imaginations of my grandparents, they were set up on a couple of dates and then they kind of went, so what do you think? Well, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I don't know. So should we do this? Okay, let's do this. <laughs> and so that's, uh, that's how they met, went on some dates and got married. Uh, all because he, uh, someone suggested that he actually have a wife before he goes to the U.S. so that he's not wasting time and money doing the latter, getting married. A um, few years down the road, blowing all his money and starting all over again. So on the advice of a very nice lady at the embassy, he went out and found himself a wife. And they moved to New York together. And in 1976, arrived in New York. Uh, and just kind of took their time to get their bearings. He really didn't share in New York that he knew Hong Kong barbecue. He figured, okay, well, I have time. I'm going to learn some English, uh, you know, help hopefully broaden my education a little bit before I jump in there. Um, but of course, good, good skills are never hidden for long. And so it didn't take him very long uh, for his boss to realize that he knows what he, he knew what he was doing. And um, he landed his first job as an official barbecue master in New York. Uh, he opened his first restaurant in 1978, the year I was born, mostly because his boss wouldn't give him time off to take care of my mom uh, after they had me. So he said, fine, I quit. <laughs> and then he called up some friends, uh, pulled money together, and they started their first restaurant. Uh, there's actually four of us in the family. Uh, myself, I'm the oldest. Uh, Cindy, our other sister, is the one, uh, the second one, and she is not in the family business. She doesn't like uh, restaurant life and family business. Um, she's not a. It's not that she's not part of the family. She just doesn't like to be told what to do by us, <laughs> and which every family has one, so it was okay. Uh, the young man on the lower side. Next to mom, there's Mike, my our brother. Uh, and then, of course, uh, he was a Army vet. Um, and he was with the Engineering Corps at uh, Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri. He didn't like college. Mom gave him an ultimatum. You're either going to the Army or going to college. And the at the time, he very stupidly told mom, fine, I'm going to the Army. <laughs> and, uh, but it turned out to be one of the better decisions for him. And so... Uh, straightened himself out uh, in terms of thinking. And so uh, this, uh, the army gave him discipline that he didn't have before. And so that helped when uh, he was also apprenticing with dad and his uh, previous partners to learn the trade. And of course, the last person in the upper side is Laura, our youngest sister. Laura graduated top of her class from Kendall College with a culinary degree. Um, and after some maneuvering by our dad, uh, he really laid out a very convincing argument. And looking back, we were probably bamboozled by him more than uh, convinced. Uh, but he makes a very, very convincing argument, uh, much along the lines of you'll never have to worry about a job or a paycheck, uh, getting laid off, none of that stuff. You're going to be in charge of what you guys want to do. And so uh, that's how we ended up in the business. Uh, well, I mean, we've always been in it as kids, but owning it, ownership and doing work for your parents because they required it are two very different things. And so obviously you're more likely to care if you've put money in. And so being a business-minded family, uh, first thing the parents said was, all right, lay down your money and then we'll talk. And so that's what we did. I'm going to take a second here. I'm going to stop sharing this screen because it's boring looking at their faces. I'm back. <laughs> so yeah, there was, that's, that's how the, us three children ended up in the business. We, um, we just kind of took what we knew and just did what we've always done in a sense, and continued it. So we moved to Chicago in 86, 87. Um, 
started out on Argyle Street with a very small store, uh, much smaller than what we have now. And uh, he had partners there, some of the others in our old location and things like that. So, so very young picture of my dad there in the middle. Um, Uncle Fred's the guy on his right in the white. And then Uncle uh, Chung is the one on his, uh, sorry, my dad's right is Uncle Chung. My dad's left is Uncle Fred. Much, much younger days, but this was from the original store. And then you'll see the storefront of, uh, of the actual, of the, of the original store on, on uh, Argyle. Um, this was just before we moved because we took the awnings with us. So this is the, the front of the store circa probably 2008 or 2009. Um, as for the picture of the three partners, that is probably 1989 or 1990. Nothing, nothing young there. <laughs> um, so one of the topics that uh, Scott passed on to me to talk about was kind of how the restaurant uh, evolved. And I probably have to say evolution occurred not quite the moment when we took over, but more when we moved to our current location. Um, in the old location, you know, with the, we call them the three old men, with them, it was more about broken English and pointing because they didn't speak English. And if American people came in, oh, okay, they probably just want panda food. So point them towards sweet and sour chicken and um, Mongolian beef. Not realizing that the likes of Kathy and Gary <laughs> and uh, Steve Zoransky in his day were more, can we have the chicken feet? And, you know, whatever, you know, mushy, slimy things that are on your plate, we'll have that too. Um, so it was an eye-opener for them when they realized, whoa, there are American people out there that will eat real Chinese food, not panda food. Um, and so we, in taking over, we had to think through, well, how, how do we want to do this? How did we want uh, to target ourselves? And I think their fear was that as newbies and as young, younger children, we were going to take the restaurant and then just turn it into a panda uh, because it was easy. But I don't think they realized from the, the moment we said yes, um, we weren't going to. And it took them a couple of years to figure out, oh, no, these guys are really into the traditional stuff. Um, because for us, uh, as the younger generation, we're what we're called ABCs, American-born Chinese. And there are lots of us, whether we're Korean or Japanese or Vietnamese or Filipino, um, we learned our ABCs first because we're born here. Technically, I didn't, but, you know, we'll just go with it. <laughs> The <laughs> uh, point being, of course, is we straddle between American culture, because that's what we grew up with, that's what we were taught, and our Chinese culture, our roots, because that's what our parents are trying to impart to us at home, at work. Um, and so I, have, I had no problems as a suburban kid looking at a chicken with the head on, the feet on, all the skin on, versus my classmates who kind of looked at a whole animal and go, wait, is that edible? Yes, it's edible. <laughs> um, and so I think 10, even 12 years ago, it, it was a more people wanted to be educated and needed that link for education so that they understood what they were eating. It wasn't so much that they were afraid of it anymore. 
it was more, well, they didn't know what they're eating because the older generation didn't know how to explain it to them. Um, and so with that in mind, when we moved, a lot of Asians thought we got rid of all of our Asian customers when actually, um, and this is where business school comes into play. I turned the small cookie into a big pie and I just increased the number of people that were coming in the door. Um, and I increased the amount of people that wanted to try our food. Like I gave them that opportunity because we are now in a bigger space and we speak English now and we updated things so that like in the background you see behind me, our restaurant looks kind of a New York Soho upscale-ish, but very casual place. Um, and so instead of being a ghetto hole in the wall, we just became a nicer hole in the wall. That's how we were thinking uh, 12 years ago. So between Laura and myself, when we set the menu, we just said, you know what? We're not doing much. We're just going to take everything that we have and put it into a book where everyone can see everything that we offer and we'll put pictures in there. Um, and then because at the time I was dating my now husband, who was very good with the camera and other uh, IT stuff, he, we basically designed our own menu where he took the pictures. They were very beautifully taken. And f the food itself, it wasn't stock photo. So the menu would appeal to Americans. And so now the Asians absolutely thought, oh, no, they've completely gentrified themselves. Um, and then we would get in all those younger generation kids that were like ourselves, the ABCs. Hey, mommy, daddy, grandma, grandpa. We found this really awesome place. They serve Peking duck. I'm going to take you there. So we would get people like that come in all excited to show off this shiny new restaurant to their older generation family. And suddenly the grandparents and the parents are saying hi to our dad sitting in the background. Wait, you know, these people? Yes. We used to take you to their restaurant when they were around the corner. Wait, that ghetto place around on Argyle. Yeah. Oh, no wonder the food's so good. It's exactly as we remembered. Um, and so we, the three of us became a bridge for not only American customers, but also for those in our generation, the ones that were born here to immigrant parents who like us straddled both sides, um, and realized, Hey, we want our traditional foods. And so that was, that was part of the fun for me, I think, uh, it's knowing that there were so many foodies out there, uh, educated eaters, I called them at that time, uh, because they knew what they were doing. And when I explained it, they grasped it so quickly. And the best uh, instance of it, obviously, is our most famous not-on-the-menu item, Beijing duck dinner. Now, I did use the term Peking duck two minutes ago, because that's what customers tend to call it. Um, but in here, we use the phrase Beijing duck dinner. Um, so before I jump into the duck dinner itself, we're going to look a little bit at the things that we do to make the duck happen. You're about to watch our commercial. Okay. So you're gonna obviously see the restaurant a little bit, uh, but the important part is here where they're making our ducks. And the process basically is uh, those cleaning and chopping of the feet and the wings and the feet off. And then we fill with marinade. Uh, and now you see them sewing the duck closed with our very, very long needles. After which then we will inflate cavity with uh, air to set and separate the skin. It does both. Cleaning it off uh, in a thick branch in a hot water tank. Roll it in the glaze 
and then we hang it out to dry before they're uh, cooked. The ovens are usually around 500. It takes us about 45 minutes. That's magic of TV. <laughs> Within two seconds, you see the food. So we'll baste the ducks before we serve them to get the skin a little bit crispier. And if we didn't baste it, that would go straight out as a roast stuff. But what they do now would be baking up dinner. are not hungry. <laughs> Righty. Okay. All right. Um, so now that you have seen all the secrets that go on in our kitchen in those last 30 seconds, <laughs> um, a little bit of history about our duck dinner. Uh, it started out as a joke. So remember the Uncle Fred I showed you in the picture earlier? Um, he saw a picture in a train magazine. It was a guy carving a duck. He points to it. He says, you know, you guys could do this. And I, we, we have a term we use in here, and we call it ethnic racism. We are Chinese people who are racist against other Chinese because we're from the South. We're Cantonese people. We firmly believe without a doubt in our minds, that Cantonese food is the best Chinese food out there, period. So now that we sell Hong Kong style roast duck, there's no way we're doing traditional Beijing duck or Peking duck because that's Northerners food. Besides, that stuff sucks. It's terrible. It does not taste good whatsoever. Uh, so that was the joke. Uh, that he really felt that we could do this. And I really felt that we should be against it because it's not traditional Cantonese food. And because it's Northern food, it doesn't, and I've had it, it doesn't taste good. It's nothing in any way comparable to Hong Kong duck. So why would we do it? But <laughs> it left a little worm in my brain that nagged at me all day. And so in the car on the drive home with Laura and Mike, uh, this was a 30 minute car ride. Okay. It didn't take us long to break into it. And I said, well, what do you guys think? And our conversation became a dare. Well, if you'll sell it, I'll make it. Well, if you carve it and think of all the food that could go with it, I'll sell it. Well, fine then. Fine. So what are we doing? Well, let's just talk to dad when we get home. And so the moment we stepped in the house, we said, hey, daddy, we're going to proposition you right now. He's like, well, how much are you selling me for? Uh, we said, well, remember that joke that Uncle Fred made? Um, yeah, about the duck. Yeah. Well, what do you think? If you guys want to do it, I'll teach you how to make it. And we said, Okay. Let's do it. He goes, really? Yeah. Um, and so what we did was Laura really worked out what things we could go with it. And so in the original iterations, we had a lot of cooler, uh, upscale, modern things that went with it and nothing like the traditional easy set that we have going now. Um, and so I uh, put it out there on the internet and we've had maybe 12 reservations. <laughs> and uh, one, and of course, opening weekend was uh, New Chinese New Year weekend, okay? And so we always have a parade uh, the Saturday following New Year's Day. Doesn't matter, you know, unless it's like some specific date we can't have for, that's usually the date that we, you know, that's the day. And so I had 12 reservations between Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of that weekend. And the Saturday morning, 
Uncle Fred says to Dad, so I know the kids put a lot of effort into this. And since it's looking like a failure right now, um, don't, sorry. Don't, sorry, my daughter interrupted me. Um, don't discourage them because, you know, we want them to take over the business, but just because this idea failed doesn't mean that, you know, we should discourage them from thinking up other new ideas, right? Um, so like usual, that tiny dining room filled up with people that were coming in from the parade. And we happen to have two reservations for the duck dinner. And now I've got a room full of people. There's probably like 80 people in the room. And they see my tiny little sister, one hand hefting this huge tray loaded with stuff and the other hand carrying a, hand, a, a tray jack and walking towards this reservation to cut their duck. And suddenly people are, ooh, what's that? Can we have that? Uh, so we sold out all the ducks that we prepared for all the reservations that were left that weekend in the traditional way. Uh, and it was only about two hours after Uncle Fred said these, said, you know, what he did to my dad. And he pretty much ate his words and said, don't tell the kids I ever said this because I don't want them to think I thought they were failures. Um, Cause we really not only sold out, we were also selling, we just basically threw in the roast ducks that we sell out the window to make up for what people are ordering. Cause obviously in their minds, well, why lose a buck? We got stuff we can sub in for. So you know, sub in for it. And that actually, because they turned so quick on the, that word again, that we've been using the last two years during the pandemic, they pivoted so fast in that moment that I very quickly caught on and said, that is an economies of scale. We can do that. We don't have to do it that perfect Beijing style way um, because it's not necessary. We have our way of doing the things. They have their way of doing things. And so if this is going to be our style, then we'll just use our Hong Kong style roast duck. It doesn't have to be that very particular Beijing style of uh, cutting it in underneath the wing and pulling out all the guts and everything. That's just too much work. We can make 200 ducks in two hours easy. The other process takes us like two hours to do 10. Let's not, you know, let's not waste our time. And so that's how we ended up subbing, so to speak. It was more economies of scale. Um, so Peking duck, official peak, or yeah, official Peking duck versus our Hong Kong style roast duck. Um, I mentioned a little bit is uh, how the duck is cut to remove the guts and how it's prepared. So original Peking duck from Beijing uh, has a small slit either in the neck where they'll pull all the guts out, or it will be a slight cut underneath the wing of the duck where it's not very visible and you're breaking as little of the skin as possible so that you get the maximum amount of skin for your dinner. Uh, it's very lightly seasoned to the point of almost no flavor. Um, and tend to be very greasy. And they use uh, hoisin sauce that's straight out of the can. So they don't really make the sauce themselves. They just buy store-bought and use that. And of course they use those pancake wrappers. Um, so honestly, I've had Picking Duck at least five, six times prior to our venture into this. And every single time I would come home and I would complain, and I'd say I was eating wet newspaper around, wrapped around cardboard with a dough of flour in the middle. It was horrible. And my dad would chuckle and say, well, that's because you grew up eating Hong Kong duck. I'm like, well, what's the, you know, like, because we're Southerners, we're from a region that is hotter and more humid. And because, because of the humidity and the weather, we sweat more. 
So naturally, we like things that are saltier. So when, especially barbecue folks are cooking, we tend to put a lot more salt uh, in our food. And that's why you really feel like our Hong Kong style duck tastes so much better because the seasoning and the flavor is heavier. So obviously we use uh, garlic bean paste sauce, five spice, salt, sugar, bit of MSG. Um, the MSG is act to act as a flavor enhancer to pull out all the natural stuff that we already use and the natural flavor in the duck. It's, we don't use it as a replacement for the salt. And so because we heavily season, uh, it makes the duck taste that much better. And we discovered here in the Midwest that we like the flavor of fat on our palates, but we don't like to taste it. Like we don't like to actually bite into something and have a mouthful of grease. So that was the second point that we realized, well, our duck will do that much better because having been with Culver Duck Farms for a number of years at that point, uh, they were already breeding the ducks to where they were 60% leaner than a lot of other ducks out there. And by that time, all of our customers love our duck because it wasn't fatty. They could taste it in the meat, but they weren't getting a mouthful of oil. And of course, back to the whole glob of flour, this is a reason why Cantonese food is the best Chinese food. We don't do things halfway. It doesn't, sauce does not come out of a can. We take that sauce out of the can. And my dad's teacher taught him this, who then came to visit us when we moved to the new store and taught my Laura. And we doctor that sauce. So it comes straight from the can, but we add soup stock, we add more sugar, we add oyster sauce, we add garlic, we add shallots. We have a whole bucket full of stuff that goes into the sauce to turn it into what you guys actually eat. Um, and so there's just no way that in terms of hitting all the foodie people that's sitting out here in front of me now listening to me, yabber, um, that you guys are going to say no to this. Um, and so again, straddling the, the two cultures, knowing what we could do and knowing what Americans really are looking for and what they want. We didn't have to become Panda. We just basically use the duck to sucker you guys in and then say, this is real food. Come and have some. <laughs> and so not, it's not exactly how it works. I'm kidding. But, you know, it, it gets people in the door and it makes people realize, oh, there is really a cuisine out there um, that is different. And why do I like it so much? Uh, one of the reason I found over the years too, is uh, we're very much into comfort food. And so uh, our food is basically what you would find if you came over to our house and mom was cooking. Um, obviously some of the techniques are more refined and require a, a massive kitchen. Um, but some of the more simple things, dad doesn't cook at home. Mom, mom, mommy makes sure of that. He does not cook at home. He's a slob in the kitchen at home. Um, he'll cook, but everything's a mess. So she doesn't let him cook in the kitchen. But growing up, it was always mom or grandma who cooked. Um, and so for us, uh, eating at the restaurant, uh, we try to gear the food more towards what mom and grandma would have cooked. Um, and dad will too. So he cooks more village style foods. And so that's more like a comfort food for a lot of people. And so that's, that's where we've ended up today. Um, and then a quick history lesson about why we use Beijing duck dinner versus Peking duck. Uh, again, back to that, we've updated this dish and we're in a sense claiming the updated version as our own. So we wanted to distinguish ourselves from what people know. So we've already substituted duck. Uh, we've already upgraded the sauce. Uh, certainly don't use the pancakes because we found those delicious fluffy little buttons. Um, 
And so the name was a stickler for me. Um, and I think it had very much to do with what I was taught in school and uh, my personal preference. So the word Peking is the official name of the capital of China under Wei Jiao's form of spelling. Um, nothing wrong with it, but since the national dialect of China now is Mandarin and they use a, a phonetic system called Pinyin and the correct spelling now of the capital of China is Beijing, I decided that why not keep up with the times? Why do we have to stay in that old colonial era of using Wei Giles form? And we would use Beijing duck dinner as the set for the name of this item. That is not on the menu. That is our, I, I swear that is, I've had it on the menu maybe three or four months during COVID and that was it. Um, and then I took it right off as soon as the dining room reopened. I didn't want that on the menu um, specifically. So that's where we are. Um, now that we've talked about or touched on COVID a little bit, um, I think COVID, the pandemic was challenging more for us mentally. Um, we realized uh, very quickly and early that um, we had a lot of fans and they got tired of cooking very quickly um, because to cook seven days a week, three meals a day at home is a huge toll. And so when they, we order, uh, when people realize that we are open and available for ordering, um, people called and said, we want to, we want, we want food, let us in. And so that was, it was nice to know that we had a lot of fans and, uh, it, most of my time during COVID was spent, uh, between learning how to refine certain things and then learning how to make buns. I have a bunch of COVID food babies, just like everybody else. Um, buns are on the menu. We tried to up our game and uh, figure out some dessert items, um, but a good chunk of that time was also devoted to being on Facebook, which I hate, uh, to let everybody on our platform know when we could do food drops, when they could come and order turkey, when they needed to order all their stuff for Christmas by, which will again happen shortly <laughs> from today's date because we're upon that season now. Um, but I, I, I think in terms of the pandemic itself, we, uh, our restaurant was very fortunate. We had, we had an apocalypse plan. So between me and dad, our apocalypse plan was we'd get a zoning change and we would gobble up the space you see behind me. And this restaurant, part of the restaurant would be no more. We would change it into a couple of apartments, sell our houses and all live here cramped until we could afford something again. And that was, that was the apocalypse scenario. There was no way we were uh, going to close our restaurant unless the apocalypse happened. So uh, we thought very forward thinking. Fortunately, we were very conservative all the time. So we talked to the staff, we very open. We told them, listen, we have no idea what's gonna happen. We have no idea what's going on. Um, so as much as we don't want to close, we're going to close for a little bit. And then you guys tell us, you know, if you can work, can't work, scared to work, you know, we, we keep a line of communication open. And the staff were very good about it. Uh, we did part-time for a while. And then as we were able to open back up, pulled people back in, um, even the servers, we told them, hey, it's holiday come answer the phones. At least you're making a few bucks, um, you know, help us pack food. None of you guys ever have to be outside. It'll always be Laura or Kelly running and talking to the restaurant or to the customers from the restaurant to the customer it always would be us. And we never enforced where, you know, the staff had to interact with any of the customers. 
because we understood that there was a fear there. They, they didn't know what was going on. There's no vaccine at the time. So that was, that was a big deal for them. And so uh, because of all these precautions and forward thinking that we had, um, we probably kept about 80%, 85% of our staff. And so we haven't had as horrible a staffing situation as some of our other friends in the trade. So that, that really helped. Um, but the pandemic has definitely brought out uh, racism that I've never seen before. Um, focus, mental stability. <laughs> I've definitely had a couple of nervous breakdowns in the last couple of years um, that were more massive than my normal ones. Um, and Grubhub. Grubhub was a big pain in the butt. Uh, Uber Eats, Postmates, they all got smart after a while. Um, so if they send their drivers, we're happy to take their order. Uh, most of those drivers know, and so they, they wait, and they were okay with that. But Grubhub seems to be the one that is very ver- ferocious and very like that dog on a bone. And we have told them many, many times that we don't take their orders. We're not on their platform. And I actually finally gave up and put a post out there on Facebook that said, we are not in any way, shape or form affiliated with Grubhub. Um, And so if you have problems, talk to Grubhub, don't call us to complain and ask about your order because we have no clue. Um, in the beginning, we were, because of the pandemic, we didn't know any better. We, we didn't ever officially sign a contract with them. And so we would take a lot of these orders over the phone. But then we discovered that if they were in a time crunch, the driver would cancel the order and never come pick up. So we would have food sitting here at the end of the day because those drivers didn't pick up the orders because they were in a time crunch. So um, after a couple of days of that, we're like, well, that's wasting food. So no more Uber Eats order on the phone, no more Postmates, no more Grubhub on the phone. Um, And so we've still held firm to that to the point where we're yelling at Grubhub callers and drivers, like they have a call center. So we don't, uh, we're not very polite with them (laughs) anymore. Uh, Some of the drivers we've made friends with, And so they know. And if we tell them it's going to be a long time, they'll either wait or they'll cancel the order and they'll let the customer know. Um, So that's that's how we've been dealing with a lot of that. Um, I know I'm close on time. So, Kathy. Not in my book. By by the way, you can you can order duck off the menu. Yes, you can. You can order. I think I saw a comment below that, you know. If it's not on the menu, how can I order? The big elephant in the room. (laughs) So we actually, there's, if you're in the restaurant, there's a picture of it. And this is the one place we're very subtle about it. There's a picture in a picture frame hanging. And for some of you who have been coming to the old store, we used to have those paper plates written by hand in Chinese and English on the wall. Well, we tried replacing those. Then we ran out of the plates that we used to use. They don't make those plates anymore. Um, And so my husband, in his ever endearing way to improve us, uh, took over that little job and printed out big, like 18 by 10 or whatever, photographs and framed them. And so now instead of horrible handwriting on plates... Drove them crazy. And I even swapped to uh, printed on the printer Chinese and English plates for a while. He didn't like that either. So he's got a, what we call a hidden Mickey. He's got a picture of the Beijing duck dinner in the upper corner in the glass window that looks into the front kitchen. So if ever in doubt, just walk up to the window, pull the server with you and point. <laughs> they all speak English now, but if you feel, if you're feeling nostalgic, pull them over and point at the picture. Um, He actually has Beijing duck dinner printed on the photo with the food. 
Um, you know, I, I don't know the timeline of mm-hmm. when you decided to go and get the new building and take mm-hmm. that over. But one of the things that, let's say, we in the foodie community in Chicago noticed was you were very engaging on social media. You know, yeah. you may say you hate, hate Facebook, <laughs> but, you know, I saw, I, I wasn't at Facebook at the time, but, you know, you would jump onto like LTH Forum, which is a food yes. chat website. And I remember the time when, when you translated a menu yes. for myself and a few others that you didn't have to do, you didn't have to acknowledge. I was... I had nothing better to do that night. And I, that would, those are things, those are things that intrigue me. So like, I look for those kinds of interactions um, online, like when social media blew up. Um, to be honest, in my book, social media at the time was LTH form. Um, I mean, here was a built-in site for me to one, in a sense, interact with people who are educated eaters, who do know what they're eating, uh, who do want to learn about my food and my culture. Um, And I can very easily slip in, hey, we're doing this. You guys want to come? I was always very good about and politely asking like Gary or Steve or Alan or uh, Ronnie Uh, people who ran the site, Hey, can I post this first? You know, can I, whatever. And they said, yeah, sure. Make a new link. Okay. You know, and then that's where we garnered uh, attention. Uh, I like interactions like that. Facebook, I feel is a little bit more impersonal, but useful, especially in today's market, so to speak, because I can reach more people better, but I didn't have that interaction. And Facebook allowed people to hide behind uh, their username or whatever you want to call it, avatar, and they can complain. They can, you know, talk about things that were pointless. They can bring out other comments that were not worthy of my attention, (laughs) so to speak. But, But I remember the menu that you did was a Chinese New Year menu. I and do that. Y- that Actually, was the one you trained. Now you do a Chinese New, New Year I dinner. Do. Well, it's your fault that I do that now. It's because <laughs> of that menu that I saw on LTH. Because that's actually something that the chefs do in Hong Kong. It's actually a very traditional uh, way. It's because it's, they, don't, they don't get often get a chance to show off their education. Like that they actually have education. And so... They create very melodic musical names, and you really do have to use based on what your what the words are, and your knowledge of that word, and the homonym of it, to represent what it is you're eating. I mean, you really have to think about it in order to know what you're eating, and so translating the words directly. And then letting you guys know this is the meaning and this is what you're actually eating. That's what's fun for me. Do you think as an ABC, <laughs> you know, one of the things I've had this happen at Lao Shishuan, let's put it mm-hmm. that way, where we ordered something and they would go, that's not for you. <laughs> um, my attempt, my approach to these situations is, you're right. It might not be for me, but I will pay for it and I'll take it with me. I'm not going to criticize you because it's my risk whether or not I like it. And But at other Chinese restaurants, and I heard about this from a woman whose job is this. She's an American who lives in China, who interviews chefs, Chinese chefs in the United States, and then writes articles for a Chinese audience back in China. This was about 10 years ago. And she said the big thing was they didn't like to lose money and they didn't like to lose face. And that's why they would recommend to you not to eat certain things. Yes, that's probably true. Um, uh, And I think, see, this is where I would differ. So that person 
is what I would, I would, I would probably say they have a fob mentality, a fresh off the boat mentality. So somebody who is an immigrant here that grew up partially, at least as immersed enough in the American culture to understand it, Mm -hmm. but doesn't have what I would say a natural instinct of someone born here. So for me as your hostess or your server or the person that's going to take your order, um, I profile bluntly. (laughs) I'm just going to say I profile and it's racial profiling. Why? Because I look at a person, if you're purple, yellow, orange, I know what you tend to eat. But when I'm talking to you, then I can make a factual basis. Oh, they know what they're eating. Okay, chicken feed it is. Or are you feeling adventurous? Let's have some fried intestines. Yum. Yes. But if I'm getting the vibe that, oh no, they're they're being very picky, then I know panda food. I love that panda. By the way, just want you to know there's some confusion. The the Peking, the Beijing duck is on your menu. Yes there or no? Is a version, there is a version out there, paper version of the menu out there, that if you printed it out when I had it on that version, if you printed that version out, then yes, officially it is out there. But since then, the menu has been upgraded or revised. And the official listing for Beijing Duck Dinner is not on the menu, the paper menu, but it is on the menu. So if you come in and you tell us you want the duck dinner, I have it. If you call for a reservation and say, we're making a reservation for the duck dinner, no problem. All you have to do is say, I want the duck. And 90% of the time we don't miss and we go, okay, no problem. So, So somebody asked, what is the problem with having the duck dinner on the menu? Because when we started, now not so much, but definitely when we started, we didn't know how many people were going to come in for it. So we had to set aside a certain number of ducks to make sure that, especially if you're going to want it, uh, we have enough to cover anybody who came in. So it started out reservations, and then we'd have leftovers for first come, first serve. So throughout the years, that system's worked very well. And that's kind of part of our magic. Um, The reason we want that reservation is, and this was a learning curve because I went from a 3,000 square foot entire restaurant to a 10,000 square foot entire restaurant, okay? Uh, If I know you're coming, I can prepare for you. (laughs) Then that's that's fair. But because I called you like, as I'm about to go and I've gotten the duck. Yeah. Okay. Now I have to tell you for, for those of you, you're going to be slightly, I would say somewhat jealous, but years ago we did, I mean, we did it a few years ago, but like maybe 10, 12 years ago or more, Kelly did a talk on Chinese barbecue which was spectacular. And I made sure that there was a duck for every two people, <laughs> which everybody enjoyed. But I, even I got the feedback was, we love duck, but even that's a lot of duck. Yeah, we did we did some crazy things back in the day. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It's, 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 it's still delicious. Yes. It's still delicious. People, do you have more questions you want to put into the, into the chat? Or perhaps... But yeah, no, but I felt your things began to change really with your use of the social media. Yeah. You know, um, and was that before you had decided to ch- to go move out to the 10,000 square foot or that yes. was an evolving process? Yes, that was. Well, the, the social media part was always evolving. Um, 12, 15 years ago, social media was like, you know, right. and I was considered on the forefront. Because I believe I was, you were. I was using it to, I basically exploited that loophole. Hey, we have duck here. You guys want to try it? Hey, we're doing baby pig. You guys want to come check it out? Uh, I use it as a marketing tool. 
Oh, sure. Hey, somebody yeah. has the, 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 the question that probably has about a good, how many ducks do you think you've carved table side all these years? Uh, me personally or the entire, everybody? Well, you could go with you personally. Maybe that's one. <laughs> No, I think it's more than that. Uh, no, me personally, well, I've been a bit more retired in the last seven or eight years. Um, we have more staff. Yes, that's why you hire people. So you don't that's have true. To that's true. <laughs> um, let's see. Me personally, I probably have done about four or 5,000. Yeah. And wow. And as, yeah. a, as, a, as an operation, as an operation, um, well, let's see. If I did that many, Laura's got to have done that many. Uh, Spike was probably at least four times that amount. Hard for us to calculate, but I can calculate it this way. Uh, we do, okay, let's take off for the last two years and have it, okay? Right. So from 2019 all the way back the other way, uh, we probably average about a thousand ducks a week and you can call it at 50 weeks a year. Um, so that's already 50,000. Okay. I, I get the, the numbers are yeah phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> we've done, we've done a number of ducks over the years. <laughs> In addition to the duck that you just sell for cash and go outside in the front. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, no, that would be the total. And probably before we moved, that figure was probably more only towards the duck to go. But for the last 12 years, I could definitely say that amount were probably 60% duck dinners. Wow. Mm-hmm. But, but by the way, can I slightly boast? Mm-hmm. But I was the first official customer at the new, new location. Place. You were. I came yeah, in the, the night before they were opening. I didn't know if they were opening. I knew you were on the cusp yeah. of opening. Yeah. And you had just gotten the approval. And I had just walked yep. in. And I said, here, here's $5. Sell me <laughs> something. Yes. And luckily for her, we had, we had just finished making the chicken skins that day. <laughs> yes. And I ate chicken skins as I drove home. <laughs> uh, there's a question on the side. Are we still using Culver? Yes, we are. Uh, except for that one little mishap almost 25 years ago where they nearly lost us. And that was because people wanted uh, leaner ducks. And at the time, nobody else was breeding ducks that were leaner. Um, we've been with them from the beginning. All right. Here's a question that I maybe you can answer. I don't know. What do you think of the loss of Singapore street food vendors? Children don't want to follow their parents into the restaurant business. Um, I would say kudos to you kids if you want a different life, but you've just lost what I think is a very important pillar of your life. Um, and I, I, for me, it speaks voluminously because our, um, in our family, we have members, not just my own sister, but cousins too, that you know they don't want to be in the family business. And that's absolutely fine. But there's a line where, for me, if you're above it, then you, you're, it's okay for you not to be in business so long as you appreciate the fact that everything you are and everything you have is from your parents uh, and that you are in your nine to five job, uh, very, you know, comfort, comfortably living because your parents put in all those hours so you don't have to. As long as you remember to appreciate that in my books, that's fine. You haven't lost anything. It's those people that go to those other jobs because they look down upon the fact that their parents had to toil 18, 20 hours a day. And there are people out there within my own family too that, you know, we've had disagreements about this isn't uh, something you should look down upon in any job. Um, 
but I really feel that if you seriously consider not joining your family trade, so to speak, you do lose a part of yourself because suddenly now you don't know how to cook this item. And this might be something that has given you comfort as you're growing up and you just haven't realized it. Me personally, I have tried to get out of it. And I was just saying to somebody else the other day, uh, it took me three weeks and six grand, seven grand, halfway across the world to figure out. I could watch bootleg DVDs at home all day long. I don't have to do it halfway across the world. Um, so I got off the couch from the rented condo in Hong Kong and went out and went on a foodie trip. <laughs> I, I ate everything in sight. I uh, went to Kuala Lumpur, went to Taiwan, uh, traveled around China a bit to eat. And then when I came home, I said, okay, I think I just needed to get away and recharge. Let's go. So obviously everyone is different, um, but it really, you know, for me personally, if you can take over your parents' business, if you can make that transition as a second generation into your family's business, regardless of the line of business, I think you're really doing yourself good because you're continuing a tradition that may be lost. And you're, you're, you're there to help people learn more about what it is that you're doing or selling. You know, there's other Asian cultures, well, but there's also the parents who push their children away from the restaurant business. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's, there's, uh, I'll give an example of some Korean restaurants. I'm not saying all, I'm not, I'm not making, but it happens to be an example I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. They didn't want their kids. They didn't want, they wanted to be doctor or lawyer or whatever. Yeah. And you go into the restaurants and you try to order the food you want. Mm -hmm. You can't make, you can't, you don't understand. I actually, what happened for me for Korean food anyway, I got a picture book from the library on mm -hmm. Korean food. Cause I could never, even though I regularly visited this place, I could never get explanations for the other parts of the menu, mm -hmm. but they didn't want their kids working there. Yeah. There are a lot of Chinese parents that are like that. Um, and I think that was part of the culture. And again, that might stem back to whatever form of racism they might've faced in their lives during this journey to get you know where they are. Um, I think myself, I was more fortunate because my dad was always, and my mom is the, you know, the kind of the ax grinder in the family. Nope, you're, you don't need to go on a date. Nope, you don't need to go out with friends. We need you at work. And so, being at the restaurant as a kid, uh, I, not that it was normal, but I saw more. So it opened my mind more. So when I was at school back in the suburbs, I was able to behave in a way where my classmates could accept me for who I was. Um, and I was in a fairly diverse high school. So it wasn't like, you know, all white people. Um, but because I saw some of the stuff that happens around Argyle Street, I was able to take those experiences and realize, oh, oh, so that's what racism looks like. Okay. Um, a lot of, and, but because of that also, because I was at the restaurant also, my Chinese was better than a lot of my peers who are also ABCs. In fact, most people, my husband is actually the fob. So he's the one who's immigrated as a kid to the US from Hong Kong. I was born in New York. And when we're having conversation with anybody who's new or doesn't realize anything, they think he's the ABC and I'm the fob because my Chinese is that good, like the accent wise. Like when I speak, nobody realizes if no video was on and we didn't have a last name on and only said Kelly, nobody would think the wiser that I was Asian, that I'm Asian. Um, when I'm speaking Chinese, nobody would guess the wiser that I was born in New York 
Um, I only give myself away when I speak Mandarin <laughs> because I have Cantonese accent. Um, so, you know, I, I think because some of my friends' parents were always, oh no, we have to fit in because they didn't have the same experiences that my dad did or I did. And so they always felt like they had to fit in. So they pushed their kids away from our natural culture and they pushed their kids into do being a doctor, engineer, accountant, whatever. Um, because I'm finding though that they're regretting it because now 25, 30 years later, after we're all out of high school, it's not my peers I'm talking to. They're the ones saying, I wish I'd learned more when I was younger. My parents never made me go to Chinese school. And the parents are always now talking to me. How is it that your Chinese was so good? You guys went to the same school. How come your Chinese is so much better? I, I always joke. I, I watch a lot of TV. <laughs> like I watch a lot of uh, Chinese dramas growing up and I leave it at that, you know, so. Do you think your kids will go into the business? Um, I hope. I hope. Um, right now, I've already exposed them to working. They've been sneaking up here. I made my husband help me wash the store tonight so that I could do this. <laughs> and the kids are with him downstairs and they've been. So, you know, I think more I want them to see, have the same experiences that I did that it's not all in the box of their, you know, suburban school. Um, I firmly believe in the public schools of the suburbs are better. So that's why I live there. And that's why I send my kids to school there. But do I also think that that's all that is in life? No, they're going to be the dumbest suburban kids ever if I never took them out of that box. And so at, nine and seven years old now, uh, Morgan, my oldest, she's nine, she'll stand in the kitchen and very subconsciously, the staff are, ooh, the mom sent her, she's watching. <laughs> um, my younger daughter, Madison, will, she's more all over the place, I think, because she's also younger. Uh, when she feels like it, she'll go and clear out all the bills from the computer system. When she doesn't feel like it, she'll go and collect uh, your money for your credit card. She'll run all the credit cards. Uh, <laughs> yes. And uh, when I'm hosting and she's not doing anything, I tell her, here, take these guys to that table. And I tell her exactly where to go. And she's probably 90% no problem. Wow. 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 Yeah. Now, I know Thursday is your traditional day. For not for your day off. Mm -hmm. It's Thursday still, right? Thursday still. Yep. I only say that in case people are inspired and want to go tomorrow. No, no, don't come tomorrow. Tomorrow's a bad day. Because <laughs> you won't be there. Nor will, the, will. nor will the place be open. No, yes. You will be trying to break the door down. <laughs> By the way, uh, Natasha said, uh, she said, thanks, Kelly. I'm half Japanese. Mom worked in the restaurant business and owned her own restaurant for five years. I grew up in restaurants. I so enjoyed hearing the story of Sunwa. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. <laughs> and I think she summed it up for everybody. Yes. Thank you, guys. Thank Thanks you. <laughs> oh, no. You know, it's an endless pleasure. Endless pleasure. Anybody, any more questions? Okay. If not, you go back to your life. Yes. I got to go. We haven't burned the place down downstairs. Tip time. <laughs> and uh, thanks again. <laughs> Kelly, always a pleasure. I'll thank see you, you soon. You. Okay. Bye, thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.